Good morning. Uh, my name is Brad Pope, and I am excited to be here. Um, this is my lovely mother. He didn't know that we were, we were asked to introduce him. <laughs> I did want to say one little thing, though, because I'd already worked it out in my head. <laughs> and um, when we started attending this church, Brad was six years old. And he's come a long way. No, <laughs> And, uh, you know, about a year after we were here, he told us, he says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a pastor. And Mike and I were like, okay, that's good. That's good. And then we had a couple of different times about right after that. There was a couple different times different lady, older ladies came up and said, we didn't know them. They said, we want you to know there's a pastor's calling on your son's life. And we're, I was very humbled by that because I was like, I don't want to mess this up, God. You know what? what am, how how am I supposed to raise a pastor or or whatever? And so, you know, God's good. He's so good, and he he shows us every step of the way. We don't have to be perfect, and we're not perfect. And um, he is so good. But I've watched Brad and his love for God, wanting people to know who Jesus is, has touched my heart. He he is. From a young age, you know, even though he's homeschooled through high school, he wanted to go and have a Bible study at, at school on campus every week. And so he led a Bible study on campus. He, um, when he worked at Hy-Vee, he would, people would go through his line, hey, you know, how are you today? If they would talk about something bad, he'd say, can I pray for you? And he kind of started getting a little bit in trouble with his supervisors. And, and, uh, but, you know, he'd, and he'd go over to the park and talk to all the youth across the street and evangelize and talk to them about Jesus and where they were at. And I've just seen that passion in his heart. No matter where we were at and what we're doing, he wants to talk about Jesus. So we are very um, thankful. You know, the, a lot of the, the ladies, the older ladies that were here at that time when he was six, aren't here anymore. Pastor Marcia is here. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's a few of you that are still here that have watched him grow up. And so we just uh, are very honored that he was able to be here today and speak. And God is good. You know, you can't get away that easy. Um, so when Pastor Steve asked me to preach, I think he was thinking I was like my dad, you know, short and to the point. Little did he know, I'm more like my mom, and I like the details and the rabbit trails. So, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, on a more serious note, regardless of how long I preach, I hope you came with the expectation of what God wants to do, with an expectation of the fact that God is here in this place, and there's no way you can go that he is not. And he's excited, and he has been anticipating meeting with you. I... Speaking of my mom, I've had the privilege of spending yesterday uh, celebrating her birthday. And, um, mom, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for your love and your care and everything that God used you to do in my life and be an extension of God's love. You didn't just give me the, the love. I'm going to try not to cry right now. <laughs> you didn't just give me the love of a, of a caring mother. You showed me the love of Christ. And that is, that's a mother that I cherish and I hold dear in my heart. You are my mother and I love you and you mean so much to me. And I just wanted to honor you this morning and let you know Thank that you. all that you've invested in my life is being poured out into others and that God is faithful. And he's shown me that in your relationship with my father. It's been a beautiful display of faithfulness. And, you know, you've got a good choice in guys, I guess. So, you know, he's, he's quite all right. And uh, I just, if you would just please wish my mom a happy birthday for all that she does. I know that she has invested for a long time quite a bit into ministries, different ministries within this body. And if you could right now, would you give her a round of applause, a happy birthday applause? God deserves that. It's only because of Jesus. And by the way, I didn't say his name, and his name is Bradley Pope. Take her, take her mic away. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Mom, I love you. I just want you to know that. Uh, you know, I appreciate all that you said. That, that was very encouraging. 
But uh, Wes Doffenbaugh, who is an evangelist, a man of God, once told me that there's no such thing as great men of God. There's only men that serve a great God. And I'm, I'm nothing, I'm only special because God says I'm special. Beyond that, I'm nothing special. So just know that, that I'm nothing great. I just serve a great God. How many people have ever tried to cover something up? <laughs> Show of hands, ever try to cover something up? Oh, you're covering something up right now. I know it. I'm telling you. I have, I've tried to cover things up before in my life. How many have children? Yeah? You know something about covering stuff up, don't you? I have a beautiful daughter. Her name is Emberly. Um, there should be a slide. Emberly, there she is. Isn't she something? I, I couldn't go without talking about her. You know, I love her to pieces. This one morning, I was taking her to daycare. I think she was four years old. And she was just as chipper as can be. You know, normally she's like half ember, half zombie, like, you know, get on her way, getting up early, on her way to daycare at the time. And then she's just so excited. And she's singing a song in, in the back seat on the way to daycare. I thought, man, this is nice. I like this. It warmed my heart. And one time she's like, I love you, Daddy. Oh, wow. I'm getting I love yous this early. This is a good start to the day. And I get to, it's just weird. There was like something on my radar is not right because... She's not normally this chipper in the morning. She's not grumpy either, but she's not, like, excited to be going to daycare. And we get to the daycare, and something in my stomach, in my spirit, said, she's trying to sneak a toy. What? I deny. I was like, no. I don't see any indication that she's trying to sneak a toy to daycare. But as I turned away after saying goodbye and giving her a hug, I turned around and said, Emberly, come here. She almost got away. And I knelt down and I said, do you have a toy? Are you trying to sneak a toy into daycare? And her face, she just was like, oh. And silence. And I said, Emberly, talk to daddy. And she mumbled something. And I said, no, what are you doing? She had stuck Play-Doh in her underwear, molded it around her hip. And I, when she said Play-Doh, I'm like, where do you have the Play-Doh? I'm patting her down, and I'm thinking, where, where? And she's like, it's in my underwear. <laughs> Thank God for kids. I, it's hard to discipline a kid when you're in that situation. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I just took her aside and said, well, we can't take toys to daycare, baby. You know the rule. As I'm trying to take this mold off of her hip and dig it out of her underwear. <laughs> oh, man. The mess, the mess that covering it up made. If she had just asked, if she had just communicated with me, and she made a bigger mess just trying to cover up what she was doing wrong. So if you have kids, you probably can relate. And if you don't, you've probably watched somebody younger than you. See, I want to expose some life-changing truths this morning about the great exchange. I know that God is here this morning. And he's been anticipating meeting with you. I hope that your heart right now is expecting God to do some wonders in your life. See, I can't talk about the greatest exchange if I don't first talk about the greatest cover-up. See, in Genesis 3-7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, that it is truth and that it is life. God, that we can glean your heart and your mind from your words, and that we can partake in knowledge, your knowledge, in your truth, God, and that we can experience your love. God, as we read your word this morning, we open up our hearts we open up our minds in sweet surrender, God. We ask that you would move into our lives this morning. We are unwilling to hold anything back from you. We know that you are in this place and we invite you in this place. We invite you into this place, not just this building, but into these hearts and into these minds in the name of Jesus. We thank you and praise you and love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
So have you ever tried to cover something up? You knew you were doomed? <laughs> you know there's some things in life you just can't cover up. Um, what we're going to read in Scripture here is one of those things. You could try to cover it up, but it only lasts so long before you say, wow, I need help. This cover-up isn't working and it's not going to last. We're going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 21. I know, it's a lot of scripture. But if there's anything that I can give you this morning that is of benefit, it's scripture. Isaiah 56, 11, God said his word would go forth and it would not return void, but it would accomplish all that it was set forth to do. And that is what I want to do this morning is I want to read some scripture. So if you bear with me, on the other side of the scripture, we're going to break it down. So please bear with me. Genesis 3, 1 through 21, the New International Version. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other, any of the wild animals and the Lord God had, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit was of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now wait, pause right there. I saw something on Facebook yesterday that showed Adam and Eve in the garden, and it says the reason why women have such a hard time deciding where to eat is because last time they did, they, they doomed all of humanity. <laughs> women, I want to equip you with some truth this morning. It says right here, Adam was just chilling right next to her. Or he was with her. And he ate it too. We don't hear any objection, any reasoning. So the next time a guy brings something up like this and says, you doomed all of humanity or tries to belittle you, understand that God created us equally. God loves us. So Adam was there with her. I'm just glad we can clear that up, that misconception. And nothing in Scripture says it was an apple. Just so you know, it was a fruit. That's what we know. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. You know, some things never change. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Some things never change. And here he is trying to brush this off and, and pass the blame. He says, the woman that you put here with me. Uh, hold on. The man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, some things never change. The dog did it. No. <laughs> the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The woman, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. The pain, the painful, with painful labor... You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, 
Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his, named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living, all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and, and his wife and clothed them. Here we see the biggest cover-up. And a part of the biggest cover-up starts with the impact of sin. I want to talk to you about three things this morning. And the first is the impact of sin. In Genesis 3, 4 through 7, we see Eve deceived and then they ate. The first thing that we need to realize about the impact of sin is that it's always spiritual. It's easy to judge sin off of the nature of the consequence the very first consequence is always spiritual death, separation from God. When I was younger, a counselor explained to me he had these, these cans of food and he stacked them up at different levels. And he had me stand up on a chair. And I think he was tired of me justifying the things I was doing wrong. And, or he, he had me stand aside and he said, what do you see? I said, well, the cans are stacked at different levels. And then he had me stand on a chair. He said, now what do you see? I said, they're all round. Our perspective is that the consequences of some sin are more severe than others. But God sees sin as sin. And the impact is the same. It starts with spiritual death. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they died spiritually first. So don't isolate Sin, based off of the consequences, understand that sin affects us completely. The second thing is that sin corrupts and distorts knowledge. If we have students in here that are in school, you need to pay attention. Because sin corrupts and distorts knowledge across the board. God created everything and knows everything. And when your vision and your, your perception and understanding of who God is is corrupted, you're not going to obtain a knowledge that is pure or correct. It's going, everything from there is skewed. Everything there is corrupt. Knowledge begins with knowledge of God. I think of 2 Peter 1.3 where it says all that we need for life and godliness is to know God. A corrupt perception of knowledge is that knowledge is God. No. God has all knowledge. So... Corruption and distortion of knowledge blurs our vision. You know, it says their eyes were open, their mind's eye. They weren't blind up until that point. Their mind's eye, they received a knowledge and understanding that they did not have before. But that was a corrupt knowledge. That was a corrupt understanding. It changed their perception of God and of each other. In Genesis 3, 8 and 9, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to them, to the man, where are you? See, the third point of, the, the third thing about the impact of sin is that it gives a foothold to shame. We see the first human emotion after sin entered the earth and they partook of, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They gave a, sin gave a foothold to shame. They hid because they were afraid, because they were ashamed. They realized their own naked. They were naked up until that point. They had a different understanding that made them feel as though they were inferior, like say they were made wrong, like there was something wrong with them they needed to cover up. What was wrong was that they were spiritually dead. 
And that's something we can't cover up. So shame being the first emotion, you know, shame is not a good thing. Shame is not a good emotion. Makes us feel inferior. Makes us feel less. You know, my pastor, I love my pastor, Pastor Jesse Newman at Eternity Church in Clive in Des Moines area. He's always addressing shame. And I love that. I know another pastor, he's always saying, shame off you. Instead of shame on you. Shame off you. Why? Because shame takes a foothold and it's hard to get out of the the cycle of sin. Shame keeps us from God. I hope that you would remove that phrase, shame on you, out of your vocabulary. I pray that you would never say shame on you to anybody. But see, within this the biggest cover-up, we also see God's profound love. First in his pursuit. In verse 9, he was walking in the garden. And he asks, where are you? This shows that God is a relational God. That he wants to walk with us. That he wants to talk with us. He's not content with distance. He's not satisfied in a long-distance relationship. Or a once-in-a-while talk. God wants to walk closely with us. And here we see that God is a relational God pursuing us. See, his desire is to be our father. And that's never changed. Not once. See, them hiding in the physical was a representation of what had happened in the spiritual. They were already disconnected from God. Outside of God's presence, spiritually dead. And they hid themselves Genesis 3, 10 and 11, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he asked, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is a clear demonstration of God's patience in the biggest cover-up, his patience. Did God not know what had happened? God knew exactly what had happened. But the reason why God was asking is because he's a relational God. And it's his patience. His patience to take the time to walk with us. As if, and his patience to ask us. I think God asking was more for Adam's benefit than for God's. Why? Because here we see confession. Confession is so important in the life of of a believer. And I think it's too easy to overlook the power of confession. Adam didn't confess the whole truth, though. I was passive. I didn't object. I didn't share the truth. He blamed Eve. But God shows, demonstrates his profound love and his pursuit and in his patience. God God is not willing to exert his knowledge over our experience. He knows, but he wants to experience us and he wants us to experience him and for him to to exert his knowledge over our experience is to not have a relationship because true knowledge is experience. Just ask people that go to school and people that have been in the field for 40 years. There's a difference. You can know a lot about you can know a lot about something without knowing something. God God wants experience with us. That is patience to know, but to be meek, to come down on our level in His love, His profound love, and want relation with us. The third thing that we see in God's profound love is in His promise. Thank God. For his promise. In verse 15. He mentions. The future promise of Jesus. And shame is such an interesting thing. Because for the longest time I thought. Man you know Adam's got a toil in the soil. And Eve she's going to have pain while she's bearing children. That's really bad. And on top of it all God's going to banish them. And kick them out of the garden. That's pretty harsh. 
And there's this skewed perception that shame gives us. That God is unloving and he's unkind. And I've heard this objection a lot that if Jesus is God, why do we see in the Old Testament God is unloving and in the New Testament Jesus is all love and peace and joy? But I want you to know that God banishing them and and sending them out of the garden was not a punishment. It was his very love. See, there was another tree there. The tree of life. And God didn't want them to permanently seal the spiritual death that they had experienced. It was his love that sent them out. But he sent them with a promise that it wouldn't stay that way. And we have this mis. With this skewed perception of God's love because shame tells us that God is angry. God doesn't love us. And God, God isn't satisfied with us. And it's that very perception that makes us think that God punished Adam and Eve by banishing them out of the garden. No, it was his very love. He gave them a promise. See, regret is an interesting web spun by shame that makes us want to go back to the garden back to the garden all the while God is like no don't you don't want to go back to the garden I want to move you to the cross shame says go backwards love says let's go forward let's start here let's go forward now and God wants to lead us to the tree of life Jesus Christ who died for our sin he didn't just die for your sin he scorned its shame Shame is a foothold that says stay in sin, stay in your sin. It's God's grace that sent them out of the garden. The third is, the third thing that we see in the biggest cover-up is sin's abuse cycle. Shame. You're going to hear me talking a lot about shame. The lie. The first thing that shame does is lie to us. From the moment that we accept shame, we have received a lie. Sin separates us from God and shame wants to keep it that way. There's the lie. Starts with the lie. But we can't afford to stay there. Shame says, cover this up. Love says, expose this. Shame is the abortion of righteousness. It is the avoidance of love. And shame keeps us dodging God's love as if we can escape it. And God's love is pursuing, saying, where are you? Where are you? I love you and I need you. I want you. I want relationship with you. It's for that purpose that we were created, is to have relationship with God. The second thing is we see the very nature of the cover-up. Sin's abuse cycle is shame. And shame says, cover this up. And we isolate the shame in our lives. Ignoring a holistic approach. You don't stop being a spiritual being just because you're experiencing physical pain. If there's shame in one area of your life, All other areas of your life are bending towards that shame. We think that we can isolate it because we look at it based on the symptoms. Oh, I got this emotional baggage. I'm going to go and see this therapist. And that's what we do, and that's great. But we don't think about how it affects us spiritually or physically. You know, you can carry so much emotional baggage that it can make you physically sick and ill. We carry that. We ignore it. Oh, it's not a big deal. That's another lie. Lie that shame tells us, well, you know, this isn't as big as Mike's problem. It's not as big as Chelsea's problem or Pastor Marcia's problem, Pastor Crystal's problem. It's not, my, my issue is not that big. That's a lie. If sin is sin is sin is sin, shame is shame is shame is shame, and we need to be delivered from shame just as much as we need to be delivered from sin. And I would dare say that if we haven't been delivered from shame, we haven't received the love of God. If shame is the avoidance of love, then we have not fully accepted and embraced the love of God in that area of our lives. And it is affecting every other area, and we we just isolate it. It's it's a part of the cover-up. 
The way we isolate it is a, is a way of covering it up. And then we see in sin's abuse cycle of shame, the power of control. This is why we call it an abuse cycle. It's because there's two things in abuse, control and hurt, and shame does both. Controls us and keeps us anchored in a place apart from God, saying, I'm not good enough and I can't. And it hurts. It hurts. We see Jesus on the cross. We see the physical pain, right? What about the shame? The shame that affected his emotions. Jesus was just as much human as you or I. He didn't just take the physical punishment. He took the shame. Stripped naked. Mocked. Ridiculed. Sped upon. Hit. Injured. Jesus took that too. Not just the physical pain. But just like in the garden, we've got our eyes on the physical aspect of the consequences of sin. And we see the physical. Jesus took the spiritual and the emotional and the mental shame as well. Not just the physical. We need to break the power of control of sin in our life. And that begins by accepting the love of Christ and giving away our shame. This, this is what God has done for us. The greatest exchange that you could ever make in your life is to give God your shame and accept and embrace His love in your life in every single area. Being whole, not isolating one area of your life. Not covering up one area of your life, but exposing every area of your life. If I could have the band come back, I, I think it's easy to overlook the control of shame. Why? For some reason, when we have our eyes so fixed on the physical, shame makes us think that we can cover it up. Shame lies to us. Makes us think that we can be comfortable. See, I, in 95, went on a family vacation. And my family and I went to Pikes Peak. It was gorgeous. It was pretty cool. And we were up on top of Pikes Peak, and my parents said, stay close. My brother, he was kind of a wild guy. <laughs> He went on the other side of this barrier and he started hopping from big rock to big rock to big rock. And I saw this. My parents were just taking in the beauty and the awe of what God had created, captivated by the majesty of this one mountain we're standing on and how great God is. And they're just enjoying it, soaking it up. My brother, he's too. He's just doing it differently. He's hopping from rock to rock to rock. And I saw this. And I wanted to join him, so I did. And as I'm following my brother and I'm hopping from rock to rock, somehow I got to a place. I, I thought, how did I get here? I didn't understand how I got there, but I was on a bunch of little rocks and I was sliding very quickly down the side of that mountain. And as I turned to, to, my, to the back of me, I, I watched these rocks and they're falling down the side of the mountain and I get to a place where I can actually see where they're falling and they're disappearing can't see them anymore and and there was a fear inside of my heart that cried out dad dad I knew I couldn't cover that up I saw the depth that I was about to fall in and I knew there was nothing I could do seven years old I needed help as I cried out, I'm looking up and anticipating help. I don't, I don't understand how this happened. Because I was sliding fast. And I was out of control. 
And what I thought was fun in the beginning turned out to be frightening. And I found myself in a place where I needed help. And I called out to my dad, and he comes running recklessly without caution. And he's taking these huge strides down the mountain, and he reaches out his hand to mine. And he grabs it, and he's not too concerned about hurting my arm because he dragged me right up the side of that mountain. But not in anger, but because all he was concerned about was saving me. It was painful. Not because my arm was hurt, because when we got to the top, I have no memory of him yelling at me. I have no memory of him scolding me or saying, shame on you, I can't believe you did that. He knelt down and hugged me. I dare say there were tears in his eyes. He embraced me. I think my mom was shook up too. From that moment forward, we were told to stay close. Don't go on the other side of that rail. And we were able to have fun right by our parents' side. We were able to take in the beauty of life right by the father's side. When we thought what was fun down there was suddenly frightening. We need a covering beyond a cover-up. Genesis 3:21. this is the great exchange. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. God clothed them. He didn't just clothe them physically. Those fig leaves weren't going to do it. The cover-up wasn't going to do it. God clothed them in his love. It was a sacrifice to cover the sin that they had just committed. We see this first sacrifice, and God clothes them in his love, and there's reconciliation that happens. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've never had the opportunity to experience the love of God. Maybe you have walked through life bearing shame, regret, memories that you wish you could erase things you wish you choices you wish you could go back and change those are all indicators of shame no love says let's move forward and this morning hearing of this love that God has for you you want to start a relationship you've never had before you're going to get an opportunity here in a moment I want to talk to you about something that God put on my heart as I was preparing this word the, the story of the prodigal son came to my mind in Luke chapter 11. And the prodigal son had gone and he squandered all, his, all of the wealth that his father had given him. And he found himself in a place low, thinking that eating with the pigs would, would be all right. And then all of a sudden it dawned on him. My father's servants have more than this. I, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough to be his son. But I'll return to my father and I'll be a worker. See, we as Christians have made a habit of and a lifestyle of fashioning shame in different ways. See, the son was so wrapped up in shame that he thought, and sin had, had twisted his way of thinking of the father, that he thought he could return as a worker. But we as Christians, we find ourselves in a place where we're lost, we're separated from God, and we think, well, I'll, I'll return as a worker. But just because the son stopped being the son, never once did the father stop being the father. Your sin does not change who God desires to be and is to you. Shame would lie to you and say, you're not worthy enough. You need to earn it. We know that we can't. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I had my hand extended asking my father for help. I made a choice. But if the father, if my father had not come to my aid, I would not be saved. I can't boast of that. I can't even boast in the fact that I chose him. I can't boast in that. Why? Because without him, I would be dead right now. I would be gone. I wouldn't be here presenting this word to you. Without my heavenly father, it's the same. And 
Father's looking on the horizon, waiting for you to give up the shame, the slop of shame. And when the son, prodigal son returns to his father, he says, Father, I'm not worthy enough to be your son, but will you please take me as a worker? And the father in his love overlooks that entirely and says, my son was dead, but now is alive. Let's celebrate. Because he left the shame. He left the shame, but he was still carrying it, even in the Father's presence. He was still carrying the shame, the idea that he could work for it. You can't work for a position that God has already given you, a son or daughter. You can't work for that. You can't change it. Nothing's going to alter or change that. But if you stay carrying shame, you will experience the embrace of the Father. And the Father, and the prodigal, with the prodigal son, gives him a robe clothes him clothes him I find that so interesting the parallel between the prodigal son the story of the prodigal son and how God clothed Adam and Eve and gave them his love the father gave the prodigal son his love he gave him shoes sandals I think of the gospel how can we carry the gospel without the love that doesn't work Maybe as I'm talking this morning, an area of life keeps coming to mind. There's something that needs to be exposed to the love of God. It's not about exposing your wrongdoing. It's about being exposed to feel the love of God. The area that you're keeping concealed is the area that's not experiencing the love of God. Confession is such a powerful thing because it's the strongest connection between our head and our Confession is a mingling of thought and emotion. It comes from our very soul. And when God asks, have you eaten from the tree? It's because that confession is good for the soul. It's exposed. Confession is exposure. It's saying, I'm going to expose this area of my life. In James, it says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Confession is a powerful thing we should not neglect. But I think a part of shame is because shame makes us feel comfortable because it, it neglects the standard God has. Shame makes us comfortable because it says, I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to strive. God has a standard. And it's okay to confess. When we confess, we're saying, I want to live by that standard. We're not just saying I did something wrong. We're saying I want the love of God. I want to live the way God wants me to live. The greatest exchange is where you exchange your trade, your cover-up of shame for the covering of God's love. Shame says, will everyone close your eyes for this moment? Shame says, stop. Love says, let's go. Shame says, you're not enough. And love says, you're all I want. Shame says, never again. But love says, always. Shame says, remember when? Love says, let's seize now. Shame says, you did. But love says, you are. Shame says, can't fix the past. But love says the future is now. See, the Father wants to clothe you in His love this morning. But that does not happen without exposing the shame. Renouncing the control of sin can open your eyes. I think we we try to take sin up, we try to uproot sin we pull it, not seeing the shame has still got a broken piece of the root underneath and that sin keeps popping up, keeps, keeps popping up, keeps popping up. And we renounce sin and renounce sin. We keep going back to keeps showing up. What's going on? God wants us to dig deep, uproot the shame as well. Because if you don't uproot the shame, sin's going to keep coming back. See, it's a cycle. Shame invites sin and sin invites shame. And it's back and forth. 
please stand with me this morning? What is it? Is it physical? The physical shame. Maybe you're not content with your body. Maybe something happened to you that embarrasses you. What shame is there in your physical body? Were you born with something? Without something? What is it? Emotional shame. What have people said to you? What have people done to you that makes you feel less when God wants you to feel more? What emotional anger or sorrow do you carry? Mental. I think this is a place that can get dark real quick. Mental shame. What, what do you think about? What do you meditate on? Your mental shame. What, what's going on in your mind? What thoughts? Thoughts of suicide? Thoughts of pornography? Lust? A lot of thoughts that we have. It's like the brain just fires off and we can't seem to control it. What shame do you carry in your mind? Memories, regrets. See, regrets can be a good indicator for shame. We can't go back and change it. We can move forward changed. Is it shame in relationships? This is a big one. A divorce? Something that fell apart? Something you did in a relationship that shouldn't have happened. Was there abuse? What is it? I don't know. You know. And more importantly, God knows. We can't afford to cover this up anymore. I'll have the, those who are asked to pray this morning come forward. Those who are asked to pray for others, come forward right now. I'm, I'm going to join these who are, are aligned up here in prayer. I'm going to join them to pray as well. And right now, there's, there's shame in, in a lot of our lives. There, there's an area in our life that's been affected by shame or is being affected by shame that we need to expose and these up here who will pray for you and myself included are here as an extension of God's love to not just hear you confess something you did wrong but to encourage you with the love of God to be that extension of your love and cover you clothe you in the love of God if James says that confess your sins one to another that there might be healing there's healing this morning these altars, confessing and exposing the areas that have held us back and kept us bound. If you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ personally, then personally, these up here will lead you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. To be saved is to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you need to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, come forward now. Come forward now. If there's an area of shame in your life that you need to expose, that you need to hand over to God, come forward and receive the love of God in the area of life that has been bound by shame. You can come forward now. There's no need to hide the shame in your life, the embarrassment. I'm going to say a prayer, and as I pray, as I pray over you, I pray that you would find the courage to come up and receive prayer in any area of your life that has been on your heart as I've been sharing God's word with you this morning. God, I thank you so much for your love and your embrace. And as people come forward right now, as people come forward to receive your love and renounce the shame, God, I pray that, that they would experience your love, God. It is your love that is sweeter than life. 
God, your, your love is sweeter than life. And I pray that we would expose our hearts, expose our mind, expose those areas that have held us back. In the name of Jesus, come forward. As the, as the praise and worship team leads us in worship, please be respectful of those receiving prayer. And please, if there's anything on your heart this morning, come receive the love of God. Shame would try to tell you that you're alone. You're not alone. You can't escape God's love. Try as you may. I want to I impart to you something I hope reminds you every day that you can't escape God's love. I want to I send you out with the promise and with God's love and God's grace that every day, every morning, and every night, when you change your clothes... When you look inside of your wardrobe, that you would see an abundance of God's love and grace, knowing that this was his idea to cover us in his love. So we don't need to be ashamed. There's freedom in confession. There's freedom in the, in the love of God. And that we, we might cover ourselves up with clothes, but we can live our lives exposed before God. So I pray that God's love will go with you and that you would carry his promise with you, that you would be an extension of God's love and helping those in this world that are hurting, that you would help them expose the shame and set them free from the control of sin. May God bless you and keep you. God, I pray that as we go our separate ways, God, that your love would permeate every part of us, God, and that we would be that extension, that we would break the culture of shame in our society. God, we're always in this world, but God, we don't have to be of this world, and I thank you so much that we can be heavenly-minded and engineered to love others, God. Love the shame off of those around us. God, I love you. I thank you. Praise you for this morning. We know that your presence and your promise go with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.